All righty, good morning, everybody. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation 17. My wife asked me the other night, did you ever think you'd make it to Revelation 17 as we were uh, plodding our way through the Great Tribulation? And, I, and honestly, I, I did have some doubts. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm glad to say we are done with the Tribulation. We're going to have a couple uh, chapters now explaining uh, why that had to happen here in Revelation 17 and 18. So as you're turning there, I'll ask the Lord to bless us with his spirit. Heavenly Father, as your word says that these words are only spiritually discerned, that is, we can only understand them by the spirit. So help us, Lord, we, we want to see, we want to hear, we want to feel your spirit at work in our hearts. We need valuable insights. Your word is life and blessing. We need to be set free, comforted, cleansed, instructed, and all these wonderful functions of your word. Apply them to our hearts and lives now by the Spirit of God who's in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as a kid, I was never really a big fan of math. Uh, I excelled in English and life sciences, but uh, math was not something that I enjoyed. How many math people are here this morning? Well, God loves you as well, <laughs> and God bless you. Um, I especially didn't appreciate those infamous word problems. Um, let me give you an example. Do you remember if, if train A leaves Chicago at 8 a.m. traveling 80 miles per hour and train B leaves New York City at 10 a.m. traveling 100 miles per hour, yada, yada, yada. And I got to confess, I was, uh, and this will be a shock to many of you, I was the class clown. And <laughs> it was my duty and responsibility <laughs> Uh, at, to always offer a smart aleck remark. And so if the teacher asked me about the trains, uh, if train A did that and train B did that, and she asked Ross to answer, I would say, why can't they just take a bus? And uh, she didn't, you know, you laugh, but Mrs. Kaufman was not amused, uh, my fifth grade teacher. I was the kid who would answer the question, if Johnny had 27 candy bars and he eats 18 of them, what does he have now? And I would go, diabetes. <laughs> so, con <laughs> so concerning word problems, one person put it this way. Every time I see a math word problem, it, it might as well say, if I have 10 ice cubes and you have 11 apples, how many pancakes will fit on the roof? Now, the Bible, and I, you knew I'd get here eventually, the, the Bible has some word problems of its own. These word problems I, I somehow don't mind. They do involve math. Um, some of them are very challenging, and perhaps the most challenging word problem in the entire Bible is in Revelation chapter 17. So just heads up on that. Now, 
the church has had 2,000 years to chew on the problem. So we, we are going to make some sense of it, and still it won't be altogether clear. But uh, I think it's important to uh, ponder these things as uh, uh, chapter 1 and verse 3 says, I'm giving you these things to ponder, to take to heart. So we need to take it to heart. So what context? In keeping with God's promises, the Lord has appeared for the church. Uh, Paul said, we who are alive and remain at the time of his coming would be caught up out of harm's way. And then the seven years of tribulation would come. Well, that has come and gone. I mean, it's still smoldering as of last chapter. Uh, 21 out of 21 judgments of uh, the Great Tribulation represented through uh, chapter 6 through 19 really is still talking about those judgments uh, have fallen. So the mountains are leveled. Every island has disappeared. Uh, The cities of the nations, all of them flattened to the ground. And most of the population has perished. Um, The Great Tribulation is over. But before going on with the story, which would be the great appearing of our God and Savior, uh, God's got some explaining he wants to do. Two chapters worth of explaining of why did the entire planet have to be destroyed? Uh, What was behind this kind of fury? Um, Why wasn't the world fixable? Why couldn't you just have rehabilitated the whole earth instead of doing away with it? And who and what really was behind the misleading of the nations that prompted the end? So he's going to take two chapters to explain the two troublemakers that really drove the bus with the world in it straight off the cliff. There are two people, a lady of ill repute, a woman who you'll meet today called Mrs. Babylon, all right? And a beast, the world dictator. These two were the object of God's wrath and anybody foolish enough to get on their bus. Um, And so we're going to take a look at that, these two entities, The word problem will come in the second half of the chapter to try to bring some explanation. Their relationship, the two of them, the woman and the beast, the two enemies, their character, and their ultimate doom. And so by the end of 17 and 18, you're like, oh, now the tribulation really makes sense because God was gunning for those two. And those two things on the earth are not redeemable. You, you have to end them completely, 100%, before something new and beautiful happens. And so it, it really is, though it's a hard two chapters, it's really worth um, plodding through it. And so let, we've heard about the beast. We know he's the Antichrist, but we're meeting Mrs. Babylon today. And uh, uh, it's important to take note of her uh, throughout the Bible, even before the tribulation. We're told, watch out for her. Come out from her. Uh, Come out from her, a voice from heaven, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. Well, we can't come out from her if we don't know who her is (laughs) and her bad. Uh, 
You're going to find out how bad. And thank the good Lord we don't have King James, because King James uses a word that has become a little harsh in this uh, day and age. Uh, thankfully, the NIV just gives her the name prostitute, uh, which oh, if, if I'm saying praise the Lord for that, then you know things must be serious. <laughs> All right, so let's find out. The chapter divides, if you're taking notes quite nicely, uh, chapter 17 divides verses 1 through 6. We're going to get the vision of the lady and the beast, the relationship. And then the second half, uh, 7 through 18, will, the angel will, will attempt to bring a rational explanation of what John has seen. All right? So that's what we're looking at, the vision and then the explanation. So let's take the easy part first, the vision. All right, we're going to talk, which really concentrates on this, this new mystery, this woman. All right, verse 1 through 6. Now, one of those seven angels who had just been involved in the destruction of the entire planet, one of those seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me off away in the spirit into a desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The Antichrist, we have already met him. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and, her, and the filth of her adulteries, the title written on her forehead, Mystery Babylon, the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, those who have converted to Christ in the tribulation, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. We agree. <laughs> we agree with that response. So let's pause there. Like I said, well, so probably bowl number seven and angel number seven is the one who just leveled the cities. So probably it's him. We're not told which angel, but he comes up and he says, uh, you know, he wants to show John and invites John to learn more about what, what was behind all of this. You know, it's nice to know what God was thinking and why God was so mad. So uh, God always gets his man. And in this case, it's a woman. And I would say she's the original dragon lady, all right? So here's a good definition of her. If you took all the root causes behind the world's spiritual rebellion against God and the source of all of those religions, along with the root of every oppressive, godless political regime, and then added to that the greed and corruption of the way the world does commercial business. And you took all of that and wrapped it up in a person, you'd have this woman, a prostitute called Mrs. Babylon. 
She is not only what's wrong with everything, but she's the mother of it all and ultimately responsible for the world's demise. Now, she's a complicated gal. All right, she's, well, think of it this way. She's got three arms. Now, there aren't three arms in, actually in the vision, so I, I, I just want to make things a little bit worse than they really are because now we have a three-armed prostitute. All right, so the three arms, she has a, an arm that has a world church. She, she's the false church. She's the false spirituality. And then there's an arm to her where she is a, a actual nation or city. We're told that today. She, she's not only a spiritual entity seductress to fool men with false religion, but, but she's an economic superpower. She's, she's an economic superpower and military might. She's a specific location. Whether they both are the same location, that's another question. But that's who she is. And so she's got these three arms. And, and unfortunately, God's going to rip all three of those arms off. But he's going to use an interesting person to do that. Now, uh, God wants us to ponder this. So here we are. There's lots of clues to ponder. So let's dig in. Why is she called Mrs. Babylon? If you want to name somebody for notorious evil reputation, couldn't she be Mrs. Jezebel? Or she could be Mrs. Nineveh or Mrs. Pharaoh or, or Mrs. Sodom or Mr. Sodom, as the case may be, I guess. But Miss Las Vegas, please. I, I mean, why Mrs. Babylon? You know, you always ask really excellent questions. <laughs> you know why? Because she's their mama. They all look to her and say, Mama, she's the first. She from her spawned every wrong idea about worshiping God. Now, uh, Babylon was the birthplace and the very first place that false religion and idolatry was born. Now, Babylon actually is an ancient city. It's the oldest, one of the oldest cities in the world. And so somewhere the Garden of Eden was around there. There's a map here. Babylon is 50 miles south of Baghdad. There it is. Modern day Babylon exists. They're rebuilding it. And you do remember this. Oh yeah. That's Babylon. The Tower of Babylon. Either word. So let's talk, we'll leave that on there and let me talk to you about this because she's the mother right there of everything wrong in this world, spiritually speaking. Now, um, the Lord had said after the flood, I want you all to scatter and subdue the earth. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. We're all staying together. The Lord said, you know, it's all about me and approaching me and my name uh, with a blood sacrifice. And they said, no, 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 uh, no, no way, Yahweh. Uh, we, <laughs> we are going to, I like that one myself personally. 
We're, we are going to enter the gate of God, Babel, in Akkadian. Akkadian is a Babylonian language. Babel, you swap two little letters, and it's the Hebrew word for confusion. So the Lord says, perfect. You want the gate of God, but all you got is confusion. All right, so they said, and we're going to build it nice and high, so you get your ideas of bringing in the flood again. You know what? Try this. All right, it's going to go into the skies, into the heavens this time. And the clue there is they, they use pitch to water coat it. So it's water resistant. So they know exactly what they're doing. At the top of that, they just don't want a bird's eye view of the valley. At the top of it is where they did all their mystery religion. Mystery Babylon religion is something you can see outside of the Bible. And, and it all started here with a guy named Nimrod, Genesis chapter 10. Nimrod is the very first Antichrist and his beloved wife, Semi-Ramas. She is the queen of heaven. And they get together and they have a son named Tammuz. And this is where it all gets very, very ugly. Now, uh, let me tell you, Nimrod dies. The wife deifies him as the sun god and calls him Baal. So the, the source of Baal, Ashtoreth, Molech, every god of the Old Testament calls Babylon Mama. Every last one of them has a seed in this First attempt to say, your way, no way, we're doing it man-centered. Let us make a name for ourselves, they said. And they started building up. Not about you. This is about us. So all man-centered centered ideologies, philosophies, and religions call Babylon mom. Interesting. Uh, it's a cult that revolves around mother and child. Mother was said to be immaculately conceiving of Tamaz. And Tamaz was the savior of the world who apparently was killed by a wild boar and then resurrected. So you have God the father, you have the queen mother, and you've got this little baby savior of the world. Gee whiz, I wonder what similarities we might find uh, in Christianity or different modes on Christianity. And so a terrible false religion developed, demonic worship, astrology, the worship of the stars, um, uh, human sacrifice, temple prostitution, all of these things were going on at the top. And uh, that's why Jeremiah chapter 51 and verse 7 says uh, of Mrs. Babylon, the nations drank her wine, therefore... They went mad or deranged. Jeremiah 51, verse 7. So the point, thank you for the tower. Um, she's back. At the end, she makes her grand reappearance on steroids. So that is the point of the passage, is that the, the entity and the spirit of the Tower of Babel, the mother of it all, will be back in full, glorious power. And so a fitting title, rather, I think would be, Here Lies Mrs. Babylon, born Genesis 11, 
lived 7,000 years through various children, and then died. Here, Revelation 17 and 18. May she never rest in peace. So to the text now, first she's called a great prostitute. In, in Bible speak, sexual immorality is always a metaphor for spiritual infidelity. In other words, the Lord says when somebody gives their heart to someone other or something other than him, he says, you're cheating on me. You're having an affair. Whether you know him or not, he called Israel that a lot. But he also said, be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, the Canaanites, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they may invite you and you will join in their false worship. So whether you had the truth and had a, some sort of relationship and then turned away, you were called a, a spiritual um, prostitute, or if you didn't know the Lord, but should have known the Lord because you bear his image and God has revealed himself through nature and your own conscience, you are still prostituting yourself because you're going to something that you know, a rock or a piece of wood. You know that that isn't the answer to give your heart to. And so he calls that spiritual uh, prostitution. Now, uh, the seductive qualities of false religion and spirituality bear striking resemblance to sexual temptation and uh, have spiritual deadly consequences with that. So why a prostitute? Well, for the right price, she gives you what you want with no regard to what's right or wrong. She's the imposter. She gives you what uh, a loving wife provides, but she is no uh, true wife. But in the last days, men want the spiritual prostitute. So uh, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine, the Bible says, instead to suit their own desires, to suit their own desires, they will go looking around town to certain corners and they'll find somebody who will say what they want to hear for a price. So uh, here comes the spiritual prostitute, Mrs. Babylon. She's dressed in beautiful royal colors, purple, scarlet, our, our, our royal rich colors, glimmering with gold, verse 4, arrayed in gemstones and pearls. She's beautiful, gorgeous, seductive. And so the, the, the end-time religion is going to be glamorous, sophisticated. It's going to have a, a logical appear, appeal to it, rather. And uh, she's going to be seductive and gorgeous. And she's a soul killer as well. Attractive seductress. Uh, you'll have spirituality without morality. You'll have love without goodness. You'll have enlightenment without lordship. You'll have religion without God. <laughs> Every fallen man's dream is to be able to say, I'm a spiritual person, but I do whatever I want. Every non-Christian I meet in this world has the same line. Oh, I'm religious. Oh, I'm not religious, rather. I'm spiritual. I'm spiritual. We're all spiritual. We're spirit beings. Everybody's spiritual. I agree with that. 
But to say you're spiritual and have a religion that allows you to do your own thing, that's going to be the spirit of the age. So the prostitute will whisper in men's ears and to their souls, do you want a God with the, who's okay with your sexual sin? Man, you were born that way. Come on. The whole world loves it and accepts it. You want to get married to a guy? You can marry to a guy. Both of you go off on a honeymoon. If you want somebody to open a Bible, give you communion, say a blessing, and marry two women, that's okay, man. Come on. Come to me. All who are weary and burdened with doing the truth, tired of bearing that burden of self-denial, the cross and blood and hell, come to me and I'll give you rest. I'll give you what you want. You want sexual immorality and heaven? Got it right here. Got the money? You want a God who will make you rich? You want to go to church and all you hear is you, 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 money, 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 rich, 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 rich. You want that? Come on. I can give that to you, baby. Sorry. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) Do you get it? She's gonna woo men's souls. And tell them exactly what they want to hear. Now, um, she holds a cup in verse 4. It's a golden chalice. This is why people conclude that there is a Christian flavor to the end time spirituality. That there may perhaps be structure left behind when, when born-again believers are gone, there'll be a church here. Now, anybody even in a bad structure who's born again comes. Well, the people aren't the problems. The structure is what I'm talking about. And, he, and she says, it's through this cup that kings come. And it's a trickle-down effect. And she feeds the lies through this cup. The kings come to receive communion. But inside is not a symbol of a blood that will cleanse you from all sins. Inside is a symbol of what will corrupt you with all sins. And so that's what we see there. Uh, Here will be the bumper sticker on everybody's car. It's already here. We're working on this. Uh, So it will have Christian flavor. Trust me. In fact, they may say they are Christians. Let me just read to you fact, and I'm not getting down on any church. I'm just going to read you a fact of what came out of the Catholic Church just a few years ago in an address and a prayer gathering, and you can look this up, um, of Christians, Muslims, Jews, and Buddhists, Pope John Paul II, so we've got a couple popes ago, um, told participants that their efforts were unleashing profound spiritual energies into the world and bringing about a new climate of peace, the Pope pledged that the Catholic Church intends to, quote, share in and promote such ecumenical and interreligious cooperation. The Catholic Review commented on this and said, the unity, quote, the unity of religion promoted by the Holy Father 
and approved by His Holiness the Dalai Lama is not a goal to be achieved immediately, but one day it may come when the love and compassion which both Buddha and Christ preach so eloquently will untie the world and unite them in a common effort to save humanity from senseless destruction and leading to the, toward the light in which we all believe. The genius behind Mrs. Babylon is to, in a structure, combine new age with old liturgy so that everybody's happy. So we can move on now. Thank you for that. She uh, preaches inclusivity, uh, tolerance, and peace. And this is going to come to it as a major surprise to most of you. Uh, but the religion that she preaches will be tolerance, peace, love, inclusivity. But she will kill anyone who poses a threat to her to expose the truth. And who does she kill? It would be those who know the truth, preach the truth. Verse 6, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of born-again believers who bore the testimony of Jesus. So anybody in this earth at that time is going to uh, talk about Jesus in this kind of situation. Well, there's no tolerance there for you. Uh, and it's not that she just kills the Christians. It, it's that she revels in them because she's drunk on their blood. I mean, she gets high. She, she's, she's happy to do it. She revels in it just as, um, just as uh, a, a drunk revels in alcohol. And so uh, that's, that's the sad news there. So John says, after I saw this whole scene, I was just astonished. Now, scholars say, oh, don't forget why he's astonished. Because John sees some religious connotations. He senses there's a Christian flavor to it, and that is the entity killing Christians. So he's astonished. John knows Rome, secular Rome, has killed Christians for years. But what John is astonished at is she, she, had, a, she had a communion cup. I saw, I saw like a cross. And she's the one killing them. Well, John didn't know that in the Middle Ages, 50 million or more born-again Christians were killed by those who had those kinds of emblems. Well, John just has never seen it, but it happened. And the Bible says it's going to come again, but with a fury. So in response to John's bewilderment, we're at point two now. The angel says, hey, I see you're astonished, man. Let me clear this up for you. Now, it's a little bit funny in how complicated the angel's explanation is because the angel says, oh, you're mystified. You're astonished. Man, oh, let me help you with that. And then it's like, are you kidding me? Uh, so you're going to read this and I'm going to pause and we're all going to chuckle. All right. <clears throat> When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. The angel said to me, why are you astonished? I'll explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has seven heads and ten horns. Okay, 
So he said, okay, John, hey, cool, man. I'm going to tell you what it's about. What are you so honest about? Here's the answer. All right, here we go. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. Now this calls for a mind of wisdom. The seven heads are the seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast, who once was and now is not, is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are the ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. So got it, John? <laughs> and I could, I really, I picture John's face like, yeah, <laughs> I got it. Well, he's in the spirit, so maybe he did get it. But verse 13. Now, it gets easier now. They have one purpose, whoever they are. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the Antichrist, the beast. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he's Lord of lords and king, kings of, king of kings. And with him will, will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. I love that verse. Then the angel said to me, the waters you saw where the, where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and language. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. The, for God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. There she is as a superpower. And by the way, Revelation 17 handles her demise as a false system of worship. Chapter 18, we'll see her as a superpower go down, a physical national superpower, ruined. All right, so here we go. Number two, then, the explanation. First of all, notice she's riding the beast. Verse three and verse seven point that out very well. Mr. Wonderful, as I like to call the Antichrist, because he's going to be a winner. Just know that. This is not some dark beast out of some vampire movie with the jet black hair and the crazy dark circles under his eyes. Nuh-uh. He's Mr. Wonderful. Mr. Wonderful and Mrs. Babylon, they have a cozy working relationship at the beginning of the tribulation. There's a mutual understanding. Mrs. Babylon is the prostitute as a worldwide religious church and the economic political superpower. She has the upper hand when, when, when the little man, who happens to be the Antichrist, when he arises and comes onto the scene, there is already a superpower, and a world church. And he supports her. She's calling the shots. She's on top. She's got the reins. He rises up, but she's gonna, she wants to play piggyback. And he says, okay, 
You got what I need. You got what I want. You got what I'm going to have in my own time. But let's play piggyback for a while. All right. And so that's what you have at the beginning. He supports her. He's going to play the game. Now, piggyback is is fine until the one carrying the load isn't interested in playing any longer. And so their relationship is going to sour around the middle of the tribulation. Now, uh, verse 16, dear leader, I, I, I heard a newscaster in a foreign country call their president dear leader. And that just stuck in my head. And I really believe that uh, that kind of adoration will be given to the Antichrist. So I call him dear leader. It just sounds so perfect for him. So dear leader, (laughs) with his 10 nation coalition, is going to come to hate Mrs. Babylon, who's been riding him, controlling him, getting in his way, restraining him, loading him down with what he really wants. So he's going to turn his war machine against Babylon, Mrs. Babylon. Now, why, why the hate? You know, come on. Why can't we all get along here? Well, uh, what prompts him to murder the prostitute? Well, I'll tell you. Second um, Thessalonians chapter 2. The uh, Antichrist opposes and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. So that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Well, he wants her off his back because she's got world dominance. He wants that. She's got exorbitant wealth and adoration of the world, which we'll read about. He wants that. She's got all the world's worshipers. He wants that. All eyes are on her. He wants that. So in three and a half years in, dear leader and his powerful coalition go after her for world control. Now, uh, there's more... To her, as I've been saying, she is an economic superpower. Uh, She's not just a false system of faith. And here's what happens. They will bring her, quote, uh, to ruin and humiliate her by utterly destroying her from the inside out. For God has put it in the hearts to accomplish his purposes by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. In other words, God says, I got two enemies here. So I'm going to use enemy one, the Antichrist and his 10 nation pact. That is his regime and his muscle. I'm going to use him to destroy my other enemy. I love God. I mean, he just doesn't waste. He doesn't want, doesn't even waste the Antichrist. You know, he says, hey, pal, you want to be the Antichrist? I got, I, got, I got a favor to ask you. I got this other enemy here. Would you mind hating her and just tear her from limb to limb? Nope. No problem, boss. He doesn't even know. You know Romans chapter 9, where Paul says, the Lord said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I raised you up to accomplish what I want to do by showing off my glory through you. 
So, yeah, I needed a, a bad guy, and you're responsible because you wanted the part, and I gave the part to you, but just so you know, um, I'm using you. You're not getting away with anything. And even the Antichrist is going to accomplish, unbeknownst to the Antichrist, the will of the Lord. So God uses his enemy to destroy his other enemy. Now, one little paragraph left. John, and here's, when you know what John wants to do, what the angel wants to do, what God through them all wants to do for you, you'll understand why we have the word problem. He wants to sum up the Antichrist's rise to power from the beginning of the world. He wants to start at the beginning and take you all the way to when the Lord destroys him. And that's the word problem. Now we're going to walk through it and I'm just going to, I'm just going to translate it for you. All right, so here we go. He says, John, this is going to take some wisdom. Buckle your seatbelt. This could get ugly, confusing. You're going to need to use wisdom. Time to put your thinking cap on. And we got that. Check. We've been warned. It's going to be confusing. Okay, slide number one. He says the seven heads stand for a couple things. All right, first he says, the seven-headed beast, we're talking about the Antichrist, has seven heads. All right, he says, first of all, it's a multitasking seven heads. There's two things, really, I could tell you about it. He says, for one thing, the seven heads are the seven hills on which she sits. And everyone says, wow, everybody in John's day knows exactly what that means. We still know the city that sits on seven hills, Rome. That's where everybody goes, hey, Rome's involved here. All right. Number two is what's the harder part. Then he says, hey, and also one of the ways that the seven heads can be explained is this. Uh, They stand for seven kings or in the Greek kingdoms that have reigned on the earth since the dawn of time. All right. So he says, "Let, let me break it down to you this way, John. He says five. He's speaking to John. So he says, five of them have already come and gone. In your lifetime, five are already come and gone. So that would be Egypt, Assyria, Babylonia, Medo-Persian, and Greek. So very interesting that there had been, at the time of John's John's lifetime, five world empires, five kings that reigned over the entire world. And after that, not much really, everybody kind of rose their own. Nobody really, after the Roman Empire, the first Roman Empire, nobody really ruled the world. We're all kind of doing our own thing, jostling for power, yeah. But he says one is, so then number six of the seven heads would be the one that's in current power, John. John goes, oh, that's easy, Rome. And then he says, and number seven is a revived version of this Roman beast. And so uh, because Rome and, and the Roman Empire reigned where the European Union is now, commentators say those 10 nations, those 10 leaders are going to come out of Europe. That's the best guess. Doesn't have to be right. That's the best guess. Now, so he says, seven godless empires. Got it. And then he's going to say, by the way, we still got that on good. By the way, 
from the revived Roman Empire, he's going to say in verse 11, by the way, the beast comes. And he is king number eight. He's a kingdom to himself. Born out of the revived Roman Empire. So out of probably Europe, this guy comes. And the horns finish the story. He says the ten horns are ten leaders in this, let's call it the European Union just because that's what everybody thinks, and it makes a lot of sense. The Bible says in your text, they don't have their own. These leaders don't have their own kingdoms. They have a shared kingdom, and they have one purpose. Oh, and they only reign, Bible speak, one hour. Bible speak for one hour is short time. They don't reign for centuries. (laughs) They don't reign for 100 years. They reign for actually three and a half years. They reign the first three and a half years. Then they give the power to the beast. And in Daniel's visions, I don't want to complicate things, but three of those kings get knocked out because it seems like three of them say, "Uh uh-uh. And so at the expense of three comes the one little horn comes up. Out of that all thing, then we have dear leader, And he qualifies for kingdom number eight, over the top, seventh perfection. And he just went right over the line and he's got his kingdom eight. Now, they blow up Mrs. Babylon. The Antichrist and his European alliance look at the superpower and say, we hate her. She's in our way. She is vying for world control. Let's kill her. And those 10 leaders and the Antichrist are given power to kill the world's superpower completely to the ground. And the false church, done. And all that's left is dear leader and the 10. 42 months later, the Lord appears in the verse again with his chosen followers. That's clear. A lot of people said, well, with the saints, maybe he's talking about angels. Uh-uh, it's chosen followers. That would be us. He returns. And then, so they blow up Mrs. Babylon and the Lord blows up dear leader. End of story. Really, <laughs> it's time for safety and peace goodness and truth, love and grace, comfort and reward, healing and life. Uh, You know, a lot of people say about the time to come, they call it the afterlife. And I think that's why there's a secret almost fear, even among Christians, of heaven, that it's going to be boring. Because it's afterlife. I mean, here we had our life. It's the over part. I mean, everybody's afraid. All you do is you stare at this light for 800 trillion years and sing these worship songs. And that's all we do. We sit on clouds with harps for thousands and thousands of years. And, And after all, what would we do if everything's perfect? Is there anything to do? I mean, seriously, what is eternity, right? And so 
We call it afterlife. I'm telling you what, folks, this is pre-life. This isn't life. This is just coming out of a train wreck, barely alive in a messed up world controlled by a drunken prostitute and a seven-headed beast. I mean, that you call that, oh, what are we going to do after life? It was so wonderful down here. No, no, no. When you, are, when you get to heaven, man, there, boredom is from the fall. There's no boredom in heaven. There's things to do. There's, we grow. We learn. We, we are excited. Every good little thing that just makes you on fire about life here, there's a fulfillment of that there in ever-increasing quantities and measure. Do not keep buying the enemy's lies that, oh, yeah, it's afterlife. Life is here. That is just clouded, worshiping around a throne for a gazillion years. And just in the temple, raising your hands for 10,000 years straight. Nothing else. No. That's not the way it goes. It's going to be like nothing you've ever seen. Only the most beautiful thing about earth on steroids in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for taking down the enemies. Now we understand, boy, yeah, that needed to happen so that your truth and your goodness and your peace and the life that you intended for your people and for the earth, for relationships for the human soul could be realized. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.